90, almost 91-year-old grandmother's funeral. Thank you for praying, and I don't know that the service could have gone better than it did. And it was an honor for me to officiate at such a wonderful woman's life. She's just an amazing life, amazing grandmother. Everything you hope and pray a grandmother would be was one of those kinds of moments. And we had some times on the drive where our van, you know, you're driving along and you realize your tires are no longer in contact with the concrete and you're at the mercy of the wind and our van was floating on what probably at that point was some form of ice and snow and I think God's gracious hand just kept the van until it got back to the pavement and we kept on cruising along. So thanks so much. And, you know, through this journey, I have found Jesus to be such a good companion in grief and loss. You know, it's an important part of life, right? Endings. And what do we do with the endings of life? And not just physical death, there's a lot of kinds of endings in life. And, and Jesus is such a good companion in endings. And I have found that to be so over these days and weeks. My 2018 in God's eyes has seen fit to start with a number of endings. And so I'm just kind of going on a journey of saying a lot of goodbyes these days over the last month or so. And uh, maybe some of you are living a similar uh, start to a year. And so I want to encourage you to lean into Jesus during these days because I don't think there's anyone better to walk us through those kinds of endings than he is. Amen. Open up your Bibles, Numbers 22. Numbers 22, we're in this series we started a couple weeks ago called Disciple. And we've entered Jesus' school of living. We said we're going to be a student in Jesus' school of how to live because everybody's got to learn how to live from somebody. So I picked Jesus because I think he's the wisest and the best. And so we're entering his school, and a couple of weeks ago we talked about a metaphor in Psalm 1 that to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in season, leaf not withering, and flourishing in every chapter of life, and say, well, so we're going to make it a tree-building year in 2018 around here. We're building trees. We're making today a tree day. And so this past Wednesday night, we had like a forest of trees here. We had 120 people on Wednesday night for our first discipleship class called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and it was amazing. It was like a forest of trees, like that. we're going to make them tree days, and we're encouraged and excited about the launch of that because we're declaring 2018 as a year of discipleship. So I'm so encouraged by the 120 plus of you who are a part of that, and we will continue to offer that class through the course of the year if you didn't get a jump in on this uh, first one but it's off to a great start. And then last week, we talked about if you're going to be a student in Jesus' school of living, then it's going to be important to learn how to listen to the voice of the master teacher. So we talked about John 10, 27, where Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Remember that? Listen, know, follow. And so we talked about the importance of what it means to develop a posture. Do you remember this discussion? That if you're, if you're going to learn how to listen to God's voice, it's going to start right here. Scripture, 
So one of the, we talked about what does it mean to become the kind of person that's dialed into God's voice? Well, we've become first dialed into what God's already said. If you want to know what God is saying today, let's immerse in what God's already said here in this God-breathed book. So Scripture becomes central. And then we talked about this still, small voice. With Scripture comes whisper. We talked about learning what it means to quiet down, to slow down, and to lean in. Which, by the way, that's a good commentary on prayer week for us. If you want to know why we do prayer week, this is our 18th consecutive year of setting aside a whole week in January for this purpose. Quiet down. Slow down. Lean in. If you've never taken an hour in the prayer room, the prayer room's up here in this part of the facility. You can just jump online on the app or the website, sign up for an hour up there. And some of you are like, I have no idea what I do for an hour in the prayer room. The number one comment for people who spend an hour in the prayer room is what? For all you veterans. How fast the hour went. Most of you say, I wish I would have signed up for two. That's the most common. So if you've never done it before, now's your opportunity. Give it a try under the banner of Do you want to know perhaps what God might be whispering into your 2018? I certainly do. And do you know what that requires? I have to recalibrate my life to him. You don't get God to recalibrate his life to yours. You slow down to catch up with God. And our lives are going so full, so fast, so noisy. So we set aside a week where we just say, hey, quiet down, slow down, and lean in to this still, small voice. And who knows what God might whisper? Just one word from him could change everything. And so I want to encourage you to be all in with us this week for our 18th prayer week, whether that's coming tonight at 7, Tuesday night at 7, Friday night at 7, or get an hour in the prayer room. I don't think you'll be disappointed with those steps. So we talked about scripture, we talked about whisper, and today I want to add a third element of what does it mean to become the kind of person that listens to God. I had a story out of a Numbers 22, and I've called this third element doors, doors. And I've entitled today, Doors and Donkeys. You're like, oh, where's Pastor going with this message? Doors and Donkeys. I want you to think of it this way. One way of listening and discerning God's guidance in our lives is learning to pay attention to closed doors and how closed doors provide guidance to an open door. That we often don't get to the open door until we navigate the closed door. So doors. So you've got scripture, you've got whisper, and you've got doors. And there's a scene in Numbers 22 that's like a poster child for closed doors and open doors. The setting for Numbers 22 is this. Most of you probably haven't hung out in Numbers lately. I call them the bright white pages of your Bible. It's the land allotment section of Scripture, and you go, God, seriously, you recorded all of that, and you preserved it for all these years for us? You know, in his infinite wisdom, there's a reason for having all those land allotments in there. I'm still trying to figure out exactly why, but they're bright white pages. So Numbers 22, here's the context. There is a king named Balak who's overseeing a ter- Balak, B-A-L-A-K, Balak. He's overseeing a territory called Moab. So here's a map of the plains of Moab. Just east of the Dead Sea is an area called Moab. And I had the privilege this summer of swimming in the Dead Sea. It was unbelievable. I didn't realize when I got to the Dead Sea, number one, it's the lowest place on the planet. Did you know that? The lowest place on planet Earth is the Dead Sea. 
which they said that's why the water is so warm. It's like a furnace underneath it, heating it from the core of the earth, and it's in the middle of the desert, so the sun is baking it from the top. So it's got heat from under, heat from, and so it's baked. It's like 90-degree water type when when we walked into it. And the salt content of the Dead Sea is 39%. If you've never been in 39% salt water, so a typical ocean water might be like 13%. So 39% for the the Dead Sea. So you walk out into the Dead Sea and you eventually, you become so buoyant, you you can't keep your feet on the ground of the water. You don't have a life preserver on you, just walk out. You become like a bobber. You're like a human bobber and you just tip over. You just kind of walk out and you eventually become buoyant. And if you don't collect yourself, you're going over. Well, do you know why people from all over the world trek to the Dead Sea? Not to play like human bobber games. Do you know why they go there? They go there for the mud. That they believe the minerals and the, the content of the mud is so unique that they go and they smear it all over their bodies. So no surprise to you, I said, I'm all in. So here's what I did. (laughs) That's me at the Dead Sea. And I let the folks just smear me all over with this mud. I had to crop the picture because you know the European bathing situation, you with me? I had to crop that because there's some distracting images all around me there. You with me? Okay. So, behind me right there, what's behind me? The plains of Moab. That's the terrain right behind me. So, geographically, that's where we're at. All right, Ted, we need to get that probably off the screen right now. That's probably enough distraction for... By the way, when I rinsed that off of me, I thought, man, if Kendra were just here to put her hands on this skin right now, (laughs) I'd never felt my skin like that before. So what you do is you rinse off in the sea water, but the moment you step out of the Dead Sea, the sun is baking you so much, you can hear yourself crinkling. Like, I felt like I was in like an Avengers episode or something, like I'm going to change into something else. So they have this fresh water spout over there. You literally have to rinse it head to toe fairly quickly, or your, your skin is like literally going to seize up with all the salt on it. And then they say, once you rinse that, it's, it's unbelievable. Like it, it kind of has an electric type tingling sensation over your whole body, the Dead Sea mud, and they still can't figure out why. And so that's why people from all over the world go there, and then you leave home. I brought a whole bunch of like mud and lotion type products for the ladies in my house. You can ask them, they still say to me, they ran out of all their Dead Sea products, and they say, honey, we've never had anything like the Dead Sea lotions and muds. So Balak is king in this area. Do you see the resources around this? So the resources and the chemicals and what they're harvesting out of it, which by the way, I learned when I was there, do you know that all the oil companies of the world, shocker, all the oil companies of the world are trying to find the oil at the bottom of the Dead Sea because when there's a little tremor in that part of the world, do you know what appears on the surface of the Dead Sea? Oil slicks. So they, you know, all the big oil companies go ding, 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 ding. The problem is they've drilled so far down, they can't get to the bottom. You know, they have to have, they have to hit rock bottom somewhere, they're at the twelve to 15,000 feet mark, and they still haven't hit bottom at the Dead Sea. Something tells me you just might as well pull up your drill bit. I don't think this is going to work out so well. 
But that's kind of the context, the, the unique area of the world, the unique kind of properties and resources and minerals that are there. And Balak, being the king, he doesn't want to give this territory up at all. And he's super nervous about a growing entity called the Israelites that are coming, increasing numbers and power. And Balak knows this, the Israelites are so large now, he can't physically defend himself. In other words, their armies, if they come against him, he would lose. So he decides to do this, and this is the story. He decides to go spiritual on him. He's going to get some spiritual help. So he drafts in a prophet called Balaam, B-A-L-A-A-M, Balaam. So Balak the king pays a prophet Balaam. Now, Balaam's like a prophet for hire. So he's got a reputation as a prophet of God, but he's got some shady parts of his character where he can get paid off. He can be higher, kind of prophet for hire, paid by the hour or paid by the job. So Balak's like, I'm calling Balaam. And he asked Balaam to pronounce a curse on God's people, the Israelites. And he'll give him a certain amount of money if he puts a curse on him. Well, God steps in to Balaam and says, Balaam, you cannot pronounce a curse on a people that I have blessed. There's a whole other sermon we can have on that, right? You cannot pronounce a curse on something God has blessed. So Balaam, you might as well, you know, don't take this job. Sign off, don't take the job. But Balak keeps adding commas and zeros to his check. He eventually gets Balaam convinced to do it, even though God made it clear, you can't curse what I've blessed. So that's where we pick up the story now. Balaam, Numbers 22, verse 21. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. That would have been like Balak and his entourage. But God was very angry when he went. Why is he angry? Because he made it clear to Balaam that you shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be pronouncing a, a curse on something I have blessed. Step away. Don't take this job. And God knows that he's bought off, that the check got so big that he's doing it for all the wrong reasons. And so the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him, underline oppose him. Balak was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. How about that scene? So the donkey is seeing something that the prophet is not seeing. Wow. Here's going to be an irony in this whole story. The donkey is the voice of wisdom in this story. Some of you minds going a lot of places right now. The donkey is the voice of wisdom, and the prophet is not able to see what he needs to see. There's an angel standing there, and the donkey's like, I got a sword. It looks like it's going to be bad. I'm going the other way. The prophet can't see it, just wanting the donkey, so just beating on the donkey to get going. You see the scene here. Verse 24, then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path, kind of cut him off between two vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat her again. I love the Bible. How are you kidding me that these stories are in here? This is amazing. Look at this. What happens next? Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn. So boxed him in. Wouldn't let him go, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam. She's like, she tried to go here. She tried to go there. She's boxed in. She just lays down. 
Remember, she's seeing all the donkeys, seeing the angel out there, and Balaam's seeing nothing. Balaam's just got his whipstick out. Look at this. She lay under Balaam, and he was angry and beat her with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and she said to Balaam, quote, I'm picturing, what's the accent here? I picture British. A British accent, perhaps, for the, like, what is a talking donkey's accent? Come on, put yourself in the story here. It's got to have some tone to it. I'm going British with this one. What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? I'm not very good at British, but go with me, you know? Look at the donkeys, like speaking wisdom. What have I done to you? You're wailing on me. I've been a good donkey for you. I've always obeyed you. I've always watched out for you. You're wailing on me. This is unbelievable. Look, verse 29, Balaam answered the donkey. You know it's a bad day when you're having a conversation with a donkey. Oh, Lord, we can go so many places with this. Okay, so Balaam answered the donkey, you have made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey? British again, am I not your own donkey? Which you've always ridden to this day. Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? So the donkey's like, look, step back, think about this. When's the last time we had this kind of a scene before? Something else must be going on, Balaam. Balaam's astounding response, no. That's all he can say, no. Then, look what happens, verse 31. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed down and fell face down. So the prophet, after he's wailed on the donkey and had this conversation with the donkey, his eyes are open. He sees what the donkey's been seeing, and angel's there ready to take out whoever crosses that point. It's like, falls face down. So I want you to think about this point I put in your notes. I wrote this out. Sometimes God has to get in the way to show us the way. Sometimes God has to get in the way to show us the way. You know that relationship in your life that you were absolutely convinced is what God wanted? Do you know God had to step in and oppose that relationship to get in the way, to show you the way, that that relationship is not what he had for you? Do you know that job that you were absolutely convinced that has to be the job I've got to take, I've got to resign here, I've got to take that, and God stepped in the way and opposed that path, closed that door, so you could see that that's not really the job that you thought it was going to be. Or how about that ministry vision or dream? You had this ministry dream that you were convinced was of God, God stepped in and opposed that ministry dream because it had a lot more of perhaps you and self in it than it did he in it, so he let something die so he could resurrect something that he really wanted. Have you encountered the talking donkey in your life? If you're married, this would not be a good question to answer right now. (laughs) The talking donkey could be your spouse, 
who has been standing in opposition to some decisions in the household that you have maybe been reluctant to embrace. The talking donkey could be that very wise friend who continues to counsel you to not go a certain direction with your life and say, I I think that's all wrong and this friend's driving you nuts with their counsel and they're holding your feet to the fire on it. Do you know that could be a talking donkey? The talking donkey is like that grandparent or parent who week after week and month after month drug you to church when you were growing up, just said, you know what? I'm putting your feet where I know your feet need to be. You need to be in this youth group. You need to be in this church. You need to be in this house of God. And you need to be sitting in these environments. And it was a talking donkey because you wanted no part of it. Where have you encountered the talking donkey in your life? Because sometimes God has to get in the way to show us the way. Do you know sometimes God has to so clearly shut a door to get us to walk through an open door? That's part of us listening to Him. Now listen, I covered Scripture and whisper first because I'm not asking you to go out and just analyze your life without a basis of Scripture and whisper into His still small voice. You follow me here? You've got Scripture immersion. You're leaning in. You're quieting down. You're slowing down. You're leaning in. Your mind's immersed in this God-breathed book, and then you're paying attention to what's going on in your life. You're paying attention to, Lord, am I going down a road here? And you, I thought this was the right road, and the door is just slammed shut. What is in that? Do you see how God guides through the closed doors? How he guides through the talking donkey? How he guides through the barrier on the way that you were convinced was his way? He sent an angel of the Lord to oppose that way, to redirect our steps. Are you tracking with me? Listen to how Mark Batterson put it this way. We often think that when God closes a door, that is his final answer. We put a period where God puts a comma. We think it's a no, but it's really a not yet. Is it easy discerning between the two? Not at all. It's hard to know when to hang on to a dream and when to let go. But here's a rule of thumb. Follow this now. If you sense God saying no, give that dream back to him with an open hand. That often takes more courage than hanging on. But if God hasn't released you, then keep on keeping on. So what Batterson is saying is as you pay attention, you know, sometimes you come up to a closed door, and it's maybe a closed door for a period of time. It's a wait. It's a not yet. It's the road is you're on the right path. It's just the timing. So the closed door holds you back, and you're supposed to persevere and stay, and you follow? And then the door eventually is going to open again. Other times, God sets a closed door in front of us, and you discern it's time. It's like a talking donkey. He's opposing. He's trying to redirect you to an open door. It takes a lot of discernment to sift through this. Now, I'm going to let Pastor Obvious for a minute here. If there is a donkey on the path speaking to you in donkey human speak, That would be a good indication that you need to redirect. Like, 
I picture some of us, we're standing at a closed door. God's closed a door on something, and we're like Balaam on the top of our donkey. We're just beating that donkey to get going, and we're whipping it, and we're spurring it because we're convinced this is the way we need to go. And that door is completely shut, and we're just trying to kick that door down. We're just beating on that door. When You know what God's trying to do? He's like, hey, you can kick on that. That door is not me. If God shuts a door, ain't no one going to open it. Right? That scripture that talks about, hey, when God opens a door, no one's going to shut it. When God closes a door, no one's going to open it. That picture? So if he sealed that door, wisdom would be redirect and discern, God, what's the open door here? And you kind of have to, this is where the endings, handling loss and endings in our life well is important. You know, we're going to be doing that on Wednesday nights. A whole section of our discipleship class is learning how to handle grief and loss well. Learning how to navigate endings well. Learning where is Jesus in those endings. That's a really important part of journeying this life of faith out. Learning how to slam into a closed door, not go in the complete emotional tank over it, but wisely discern that ending, handle it well, and then move towards the open door. In this case, Balaam, if you keep going down this road, it's a bad ending for you. I put in my notes this. Perseverance only makes sense if you're heading in the right direction. Are you with me here? I'm going to say that again. Perseverance only makes sense if you're heading in the right direction. If you're on the right road, going the right way for the right reasons, then persevere, endure, don't give up. But if you're on the wrong road, what would be the definition of the wrong road? Well, here's a picture. Look at what happens now, verse 32 and 33. Watch what happens here. The angel of the Lord asked him, now steps in, asked Balaam, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a circle reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away, I would certainly certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared her. (laughs) I love God's humor. You don't think God's got a sense of humor? Are you kidding me? I think Jesus is one of the funniest guys ever. Like, hey, by the way, I would have wiped you out. I'd have spared the donkey. Memo, Balaam. Who's the prophet now? Donkey prophet. Right? I'm picturing all what you're picturing. You got Shrek in your head, right? You got the guy going, donkey. That donkey talk. He's going, Shrek on Balaam. Who's the wise man now? You'd have been dead. You follow that? God says, you would have been wiped out. I would have saved her. You'd have been gonzo. Listen, that word reckless, I put in your notes, is the word urat. Y-A-R-A-T, say it, urat, urat. It means this, rush headlong into trouble. Just imagine, just kind of, let's just kind of imagine that we've ever been in that place in life, but let's just imagine at times that we might be the kind of creatures who rush headlong into trouble at times. Memo for us would be, hey, if you're on the road called urat, it's Foolish to persevere. To persevere on the road to Urat, the end point is trouble, ending, destruction, over a cliff. You with me? If you're on a road, mark reckless. If God's commentary on your current road is reckless, 
You don't persevere. What should we do? Instead of persevere, we turn. We turn around and go a new way. Do you know what the Bible word for that is? Repentance. Repent. You turn from where you're at and you go wherever God's trying to get you to go. Are you tracking with me here? So when you're, when you're going through life, listen, perseverance is an important quality of the Christian life, but it only makes sense if you're heading the right direction. Don't persevere on the road to destruction. The Bible term for that is foolishness. It's foolish to persevere on the road to your rot. Wisdom would be heed the closed door, learn from it, Step, listen to the talking donkey. Listen to what the talking donkey is saying. And then open yourself up to a new door and a new pathway, a new beginning. But you're so focused, you're like, you're wanting to beat that door down. On the other side of that door is headlong into destruction and trouble. So this can be a very frustrating part of a relationship with God. Because here's what we think. We think we absolutely, most of the time, know best on these scenarios. So what we're really frustrated with God is when he steps in and frustrates our plans. We're frustrated with the talking donkeys that's come. We're frustrated with the closed doors. We're frustrated that he's opposed our way. Do you see? That's kind of the internal emotional pushback we often give God. It shows up in our prayer life when we're trying to coach him to handle the path the way we want it handled. When your prayers have turned into coaching God, you might be standing on the path to your rot. Versus a posture of surrender, here's the thing. We really do want God to oppose our path of destruction. We really do want that. Do you see that's an act of love and grace? Do you see how God loves us and pursues us enough that when we're headed on the wrong road, going the wrong direction at the wrong pace, that God steps in and sends a talking donkey, sends a closed door and opposes us? Do you realize that's a gift of grace from a loving God? I'm so thankful for the times in my life when he said a talking donkey to say, hey, Simpson, you're wrong here. Pause, step back, don't keep pressing on here. Redirect. And if we can work through the emotion, and this is where a dying to self, repentance is going to require a relinquishment and a dying of self. And saying, you know what, God? Maybe I don't have this all figured out. Maybe I'm not the smartest one on the block with this issue. God, you're a lot better at this. I'm in your school of living. So Jesus, if this is your word and your voice and your whisper, then I will trust it. And I will go there. And your track record says, you're right. Not like 80 or 90% of the time. You're right 100%. On my best day, I'm 50-50. God's best day, every day, 100%. Go his way. So when we're in that space and we're so frustrated for the ways God is opposing us and God's not coming through for us, do you know what? God's actually coming through in the opposition He loves us enough to send a talking donkey, to close the door, to not let us go off the cliff of Urat. He loves us so much that he's going to send and come for us and say, turn, listen, dig out your ears, hear, go a new way, close door, open door. This is what Jesus is getting at. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. This is that. It's scripture, whisper, doors. Listen, know, follow. 
And sometimes God has to get in the way to show us the way. And we've got to understand that perseverance only makes sense when we're heading in the right direction. December 26, 2004. The largest recorded earthquake ever to be mapped by the scientists of our world. 9.1 on the Richter scale. Do you remember this day? It, lo- it was at the bottom of the Indian Ocean. The earthquake was so significant, hear this, it's the equivalent of 23,000 atomic bombs dropped at one point. 23,000 at one point. It set off a tsunami wave through the Indian Ocean, heights 100 plus feet in the waves, traveling 500 miles an hour in a radius of 3,000 miles. The ripple effect was the largest loss of life ever recorded from a tsunami wave. 227,000 plus people lost their life as a result of that earthquake at the bottom of the Indian Ocean and sending off this wave. Here's some pictures of what the wave looked like when it was coming ashore in some parts of the world. Indonesia, parts of Thailand. Can you fathom, like just internalize that image for a minute? It looks like it's all Photoshop stuff, right? When you look at it, can that be? And it's, that's the kind of, so that was the tsunami wave. Directly in the path of that tsunami wave was a people group called the Mokan people. And they were in the path and they didn't lose one member of their community. The Mokan people are known as sea gypsies. Here's a picture of the boat they live on. They live 100% of their life on the water. So they live in what's called cabangs. That's what their boats are called. It's like houseboats for the Mokan people. So they say the Mokan children know how to swim before they know how to walk because they just live their whole life on the water. They say the Mokan children and adults can see into the water and see creatures of the water better than any other human they've ever encountered. And you don't want to hold like a breath, hold your breath underwater contest with this group. They said it's unbelievable how they can navigate that. So the Mokan people live their whole life on the water. They're just sea gypsies. And here's a picture of one of them like hunting. Show them that. This is like one of the young men. Check that out. Something tells me that fish doesn't stand a chance right there. That's how the Mokan people live. That's an everyday Well, on December 26, 2004, there was a photographer in Thailand who was filming the Mokan people, kind of doing some story on them. And she said when the earthquake occurred at the bottom of the Indian Ocean, the Mokan people, they began to weep. Now, they're several hundred miles away from the epicenter of it, but the Mokan people began to cry. And she noticed they started gathering all their stuff and they started moving all their boats out to deep water. And the Mokan people, they they started observing the elephants were moving to high ground, the dolphins were going to deep water, and the birds stopped singing. So they were going out to deep water because the Mokan people said something very significant has happened in the ocean waters. They felt it, they saw it, they sensed it. So they headed out to deep water, why? 
because they knew the deeper out they got in the water, the crest of the wave wouldn't be as intense. The ability to survive that wave would be stronger. So they got all the way out to the deep water, and not one of their community lost their life from that tsunami wave. Now follow. The exact same place the Moken people were that day, a Burmese fishing village was in the same area, and they were catching squid. And the Burmese fishing village observed the Moken people going out to deep water, and they decided they just want to stay and catch squid. They ignored the elephants going up high ground. They ignored the dolphins going out. They ignored the birds stop singing. They were just focused on catching squid. One Moken person said, they don't know how to read the signs. So when the wave hit, not one surviving member of the Burmese fishing village, all of them lost their life. Ironically, the Moken language, they don't have a word for when. So, so there's no concept of how old somebody is in their people group. There's no concept of like, I'm 27, you're 45. They don't have a, they don't have a term for when because their view of time is so different. Secondly, they don't have a term for hello or goodbye. Thirdly, and maybe most poignantly for us, they don't have a word in their vocabulary for worry. You think of one group of people on the planet that might have worry in their vocabulary, it would be a group of people who were living on the open ocean. Now, I know we're from Indiana, so we need to kind of extrapolate our thought, but if you haven't been out to the deep, open ocean waters for a while, it's not like Glass Eagle Creek-like out there. And they don't even have a word for worry. Here's what I believe. I think Jesus is asking his followers to have a familiarity with his voice the way the Moken people do with the ocean. I believe the sensitivity the Mokens have to just know when the waters are just not quite right. They interviewed him later, asked him more questions, and one Moken person said, the waters, something shifted in the waters. Are you kidding me? In an open ocean? How did they detect that? They knew the water so well, and they paid attention to the elephants up in the high ground and the dolphins going out and the bird stops. They paid attention to the signs. They were so dialed into the signs, and I think that's what Jesus is asking of us as his followers. Hey, be so immersed in this God-breathed book. Learn how to slow down and quiet down and lean in so when I send a whisper, when I send the dolphins out, you see it. When the elephants go up, you see it, and you heed it. When the waters stir, you get it. That when I close a door, you recognize that's God's opposing. And when I open a door, you recognize that's the hand of God. When I send a talking donkey, that's got to be the Lord. To be so familiar with God's ways and God's voice that we actually are the kind of disciple that Jesus is referring to in John 10. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Listen, no, follow. Scripture, whisper, doors. As familiar as the Moken are with the ocean waters, let's be that familiar with the voice of our Heavenly Father. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, 
Thank you that you're a speaking God. Thank you that you desire to communicate with us. Thank you that you are with us, that you are for us, and that you are able. Thank you that whatever it is we're encountering in life right now, you see and you desire to be in everyday relationship, in the details, communicating in. And Lord, you know us well enough to know that sometimes we're like Balaam and we need a talking donkey to oppose the road we're on. So we welcome you. When there are times you've got to use your outdoor voice and lift it up, we know it's out of love and grace. And we pray for maturity in our walk, that we'd have that indoor voice relationship, that we would learn intimacy and companionship to listen to your whispers, that we'd pay attention to the signs around us, that wisely discern how you're leading and how you're guiding. Teach us how to do that, O oh Lord. Some here facing big decisions, needing wisdom, not from man, wisdom that comes from heaven. James 3 says is pure and submissive and peacemaking. God, impart to us your wisdom. This week, as we push off into prayer week together, I pray for those times in the prayer room. I just believe I can see us as people spending hours there and you breaking through the noise and the chaos and the frantic busyness and all the distractions and you whispering in your still small voice. Just one word from you, Lord, has changed so much. So dig out our ears. Help us to be the kind of people who listen and listen well. And then follow based on what we hear. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.